0: Hello, this is episode 231, and in it, I'll be talking about what happens when you find mould in your home, how you should treat mould, and what to do to remove mould from your home wherever it might be. I am chatting to the amazing Alex Stewart from Lotox Life, who has a huge personal and professional knowledge and understanding of mould and what happens when it's in the home that you live in, how it can impact you, and what you need to do to take care of it and yourself. So stay tuned as I share more about why this information is so important right now and Alex and I talk about how to address mould if you have it in your home. Now remember if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode plus information on all the resources that we discuss you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 231 that's the numbers 231. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious. And you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast The website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money, and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. I don't even quite know how to begin this episode. (laughs) This is not the episode that I'd planned to come back with in restarting the podcast, But the last four or five weeks have also not been as planned and this episode definitely seems needed and useful. You'll hear me say at the beginning of my conversation with Alex that I'd actually planned on having her on the podcast for some time. I've personally known Alex since 2013. She's a dear friend of mine uh, and we've supported each other in our online businesses and I've spoken to her member community at Lotox Life specifically about designing and building to avoid condensation when renovating and building new and I've also been a guest on her podcast discussing renovating and building homes. I've closely watched the research and the work that she's personally done and the knowledge that she's built through her own experience of mould and mould illness, which is also known as SIRS or chronic inflammatory response syndrome, and just how much she is helping others with what she knows and what she teaches. And so having her on the podcast is it's actually something I've been wanting to do for some time now. And it's just that recent events spurred me into action. And of course, Alex was incredibly generous in finding some time in her busy schedule for me at short notice. Now, before I explain more, I'd love to introduce you to Alex Stewart if you're not familiar with her and also her incredible work. Alex Stewart's passions run wide and deep. She founded the online community and education hub Low Tox Life in 2010 and she's responsible for birthing the Low Tox movement with the phrase Low Tox that has resonated with people around the world. Her international best-selling book Low Tox Life and her podcast by the same name have supported millions in achieving their personal, home and planet health goals. Her latest book, Low Tox Life Food, helps us all come together to make the biggest and most immediate impact we can for our planet and health from our shopping baskets, plates and waste. She is a sought after speaker and consultant to organisations committing to change for good, whether it's a focus on people's health or the planet's. Alex's motto is don't feel guilty about what you didn't know yesterday, get excited about what you know now and the positive impact you can now have on your health and the planet. And as we dive into this episode, I really want you to remember Alex's motto. I'm going to say it again, okay? Don't feel guilty about what you didn't know yesterday and get excited about what you now know and the positive impact you can now have on your health and the planet. Because my experience with homeowners, whenever I discuss mold with them and they start to learn more about it, and the misinformation that they've potentially believed about it for some time, and and what they instead need to understand about it, I've seen it can be a really hard adjustment. And heck, it's been a hard adjustment for me. You know, Alex will tell you, when I first got to know her, and mind you, you know, she and I, we've shared hotel rooms at several conferences, her family's come and stayed with my family on several different occasions at, you know, at our home. You know, we've really spent some time together over the years. I told her, I was really nervous to learn what she could personally teach me, to do her online course, to buy her books and to really dive into what she knows, because I knew that once I knew it, I couldn't unknow it. And frankly, I didn't want to to add another thing that I had to feel guilty about not doing or not, you know, or about not doing well um, or doing it in a way that supports my health and my family's health. I mean, it's, it's really, it can be confronting to find this type of information out first, but... My hope is, and it's what I definitely embraced as I started to learn more about this information and particularly through the incredibly supportive way that Alex teaches it, my hope is that with this episode and what you're going to specifically learn about mould and how it can impact you, your home, your health and your wellbeing and the health and well-being of your family is that it's actually, this knowledge is in fact going to empower you that it's going to empower you to push back on perhaps a builder or an insurance company that are trying to tell you that it's not a big deal that you have mould in your home and they're trying to do a quick fix, that it's going to empower you how to know how to properly deal with it instead of perhaps using products or paying for services that in fact may feed it and make it worse, that it's going to empower you to dig deeper with your health practitioners if they're dismissing your symptoms as nothing that they can help with and just something you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And also that it's going to empower you to know how to resolve and improve problematic areas through perhaps a renovation project that you're planning or how you can prevent issues in a new build so that in the future, mould can be easily dealt with or it can be mitigated or eliminated altogether. Now, before I dive into this episode and this conversation with Alex, I'm going to let you know I've actually put a range of resources in the notes for this episode if you do want to explore this topic further. So, you know, of course, My podcast. It's not a health and wellness podcast. I'm not a health and wellness specialist. So if there are, you know, if any of this resonates with you and you want to dive deeper, there are some amazing resources that you can tap into and uh, that will help you on that exploration. This also, also, it's a longer episode than I normally do, but I thought it was important to keep it all together for you rather than split it into a couple of episodes and make you wait for it. And remember as well that I've, you know, uh, put all of the resources and you can also grab a a free downloadable PDF transcript of this episode by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 231. That's the numbers 231 for episode 231. Now, Alex has, she's shared publicly her own story about mould illness and I've I've actually got to witness it firsthand as well, being her friend, you know, having known and spent time with her across all of these years, I've seen how it impacted her and I've seen how dramatic her recovery was once she was able to pinpoint what was actually going on and get the right help and treatment for it. And it's been an incredible journey for her. It's involved copious house moves, tests, treatments, research, trial and error, uh, you know, it's been it's been huge. And so it's really brilliant to to for you to access that so that you can shortcut your own journey by really tapping into the learnings and the resources that Alex personally shares on Lotox Life. Now, given that, as you'll hear Alex say in this episode, mold illness can actually affect up to 25% of the population. And an estimated 40% of homes are water damaged and have mould growth to some degree. And there are many and varied symptoms when it comes to mould illness. So what I find is that for many, when they first learn this information, yes, it can be confronting at first, but it can also be a huge relief to learn what is actually causing you to feel the way that you do, because then it gives you a light to the pathway through it and out the other side, which can just be really, really fantastic overall. So... What actually compelled me to do this episode now? You know why now? Well, I live in northern New South Wales. I live about halfway between Byron Bay and Lismore, and my kids actually go to school in Lismore. Well, they did. They did it until on February 28th, 2022, Lismore experienced its worst flooding in recorded history. So, and flood levels in Lismore, they weren't just over previous records, which dated back to 1974. They actually exceeded those flood levels by more than two metres and the flooding decimated homes, businesses and so much more. Uh, We were personally in Lismore in the days after the waters receded. We were helping to clean out my kids' school campus, which was totally inundated over the second floor. I have struggled to explain to others what it was like uh, to be there and what it's been like since. And as the stories of what residents personally went through as their homes were inundated in the very, very early hours of Monday morning, it's frankly been really hard for everyone to wrap their heads around it at all. Now, the cleanup has still been ongoing, and as I actually record this episode, we've just had a new wave of, evac- of evacuations overnight in Lismore. You know, it's been four weeks since the flooding. We've had more heavy rain. Areas have become inundated again. And, of course, Lismore wasn't the only area impacted by these recent floods. You know, up and down the eastern seaboard of Australia, we've seen record rainfalls and we've seen flooding that beggars belief. Tens of thousands of homes and businesses have been impacted. Now with that flooding and then with the continuing wet weather and humidity it's been conditions that are perfect for mould growth and beyond seeing what's involved in the repair and the replacement of so many damaged and also condemned homes attention is now turning to the health impacts of people living with mould in their homes as we have more of an understanding of the detrimental impact that that can have and you know frankly for where I live in many other humid locations around Australia, and you hear Alex talk about this, as soon as you're over 60% relative humidity, it's it's breeding ground for mould. So, you know, there's loads of locations around Australia and the world where that Is happening on a regular basis you know mould growth is something I know we personally contend with on a regular basis in our homes and if you're in one of these kinds of locations then you'll be dealing with it too. It doesn't take massive weather events like what we've seen recently for this to be a problem for mould to be a problem Uh, although what we have experienced recently has certainly and dramatically exacerbated it. So what do you do when you have mould in and around your home? You know, what happens if it's on your clothing or your soft furnishings? What happens when you see spots on the walls or the ceiling of your bathroom or other areas in your home? Or as with those who've seen flooding up and down the east coast of Australia, when you start seeing mould growing in the floors, the walls, the timber framing, you know, the general structure of your home because it simply can't dry out fast enough, what do you do then? Well, Alex is actually going to help us understand what our options are and my hope that as you hear what she has to share, it actually gives you a pathway through. Plus, I want to point you to another episode as well. If you actually want to learn more about designing to minimise condensation in your home and trying to reduce, reduce the risk of mould growing at all in your home, Um, You'll hear us talk about that as well throughout this episode but I've also got another episode 224 which you can find by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 224. And I've got there, I actually take you through some updates that are happening to various uh, codes, understanding sustainability, and then there's a whole section in that podcast episode about condensation, understanding how to design to avoid condensation. Uh, There's some incredible resources that have got checklists in them and things like that, PDFs that you can download, that you can use with your designer uh, or architect and with your builder to really navigate this for your own project so that's episode 224 then um, you can find that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 224 to uh, listen to that episode as well okay so now we're going to hear from alex stewart as she helps us understand more about mold and how to deal with it in our homes well, Alex, it is so awesome to have you here. I'm really looking forward to this chat. You've been uh, very generous in being able to organise this very in- impromptually. So, uh, and this is, it's a- interesting because this is actually a conversation I've been wanting to have with you on the podcast for a very long time, believe it or not. And you and I have spoken about this kind of stuff, you know, in- across a long time. Um, but with the recent flood events that we've seen down the east coast of Australia, this is, it really, I think it was the the uh, the butt kick that I needed to just make it actually happen. So, <laughs> so Yeah. And
1: isn't it just such a reflection on human behavior, isn't it? We wait for the <laughs> to hit the fan before we go, Oh my God, we've actually got to talk about this. And um, here we are. So whatever has brought us here, I'm glad we're finally doing it because I think it's a subject that is uh, so under-regulated under-talked about um, dots are so Often not joined between the health impacts um, and the investment impacts, you know, a lot of people put a lot of money into either their own family dream of owning a house or investment properties and things can very quickly go south when it comes to mold so I'm, I'm pumped to help clarify things for people.
0: I think it's going to be awesome and I've you know I've shared a lot of your resources that you have on your website and your own personal story with my members in particular there's been loads of oh my gosh is that what is causing me to feel like this is that why we you know we're having this experience in this home so I think there's going to be a lot of ahas there's also of course I know that there's a lot of um, guilt's not the right word but there's a lot of initial kind of grief that Oh geez, I've actually been subjecting my family to this. I thought this was just something we could sort out really quickly and easily. It's not a, you know, I've been I've been treating it like this, thinking I've been treating it. So, you know, there's that. So, and I know that you are um, incredibly beautiful and generous and passionate about, you know, until we know better, we can't do better, and once we know better, mm. we can do better. And this is totally non-judgmental. This is just a pathway for you to start working on what opportunities you can do and afford and achieve in your own way. And having the information is actually about empowerment, not about it just being something, another thing that you need to feel guilty about. So I think it's going to be really awesome. I'm wondering if you can actually start with having a chat about why is mold something that's something that we need to be concerned about? You know, um, in terms of not just the deterioration to our homes, but our personal well-being. I know, you know, lots of us would think that that molds, you know, not that bad. It's you know something that you you see on old homes and you just deal with on a day-to-day basis. How, you know, what is what 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 can actually happen with mold and mold infestations and what it can do to us?
1: Yeah. So gosh, where do I start? I want everybody to think about how you've grown up and what your relationship with mold has been. Like, how have you seen it? What has been your view of it? And to answer that for all of us, because I'm 46 now and I've seen how we've talked about mold in the public sphere for a long time, we see it as this annoying thing that we need to kill and get rid of. And it's, It's like one of those substances that's uh, annoying rather than uh, health impacting or impacting on our investments and properties. And uh, we need to, for me, the realisation that mould was something more came with a personal challenge where Like my entire system just went into absolute chaos. Everything from heart symptoms to arthritic, muscular symptoms to nervous system issues like twitching tremor um, and uh, muscle spasms through to ice peak pains, uh, anxiety, breathing issues, shortness of breath. I could go on. There's actually more. Um, And I had no idea why this was happening to me. And it turned out that we had been living in an apartment that had water damage. And we'd been there for seven years. And it can be a bit of a chicken or the egg thing because if you're already stressed, uh, you know, I was a young mum starting a business, very, very intense time in my life uh, and some financial stresses as well, um, you're already you know behind the game on optimal health in terms of being able to weather storms that come your way and so if you're then put into an environment like this uh, without knowing that you're there because you know it wasn't one of those current affair situations where you bust in and there's the black furry wall It it was nothing like that I remembered we had really heavy rains when we first moved in And rain was coming down the inside of the wall on a couple of the bedrooms. But our landlord was right in there. He replaced the entire roof. We were top floor. Um, He put in whirlybirds to create more circulation. And we were like, oh, my gosh, thank God we're somewhere where they really care about their property and they're, you know, fixing it. But, of course, we didn't know that in a situation like that, you need to remove all the drywall that's been exposed to that rain, especially if there was no commercial dehumidification done to keep everything dry while those walls were damp. Um, And, of course, there was mould inside the walls and it surfaced here and there. There were like little speckles in the summertime, but nothing that would have made you think, oh, that's why I'm getting so sick. And often people are more likely to be affected from an allergic perspective. So they'll notice asthma's exacerbated or they might get like hives or patchy red skin, that kind of stuff. But the inflammatory aspect for me, from what I see, having looked at this now for six years, tends to hit people who are already down in some other way. So whether they're genetically susceptible, like their detoxification pathways aren't optimal from a genetic perspective, or whether they've been undergoing a lot of stress or maybe some other issues in their life. I had an operation, so I had an aesthetic, and that was the straw that broke the the camel's back and brought on all of my symptoms. So I've broadened my um, definition of, oh my gosh, it's mold, it's harmful, everyone's going to be really sick. That was my initial stress response because I became so sick and because I then connected with so many people who were so sick. But now what I see is it all tends to be a bit of a soup with a few ingredients that tends to knock certain people over. And that's why you can have people in the same family where one person's affected and the person right next to them sleeping in the same bed, in the same bedroom, not at all. Uh, So from a genetic to environmental to a personal health status perspective, yes, mould can be incredibly concerning. And really, given we know in a lifetime we can have these ups and downs and we can have these moments where we are more susceptible to pathogens, uh, wouldn't it therefore be logical that we would want to create healthy homes that that takes one less environmental stressor out of the picture. So it's not something we have to worry about. And now all of a sudden, the entire east coast of Australia from pretty much the sunny coast down has to worry about it in a way that a lot of people might've been through one freak flood, maybe one big storm and noticed a kitchen window leaking or something like that. But this time there was no way to escape Uh, the health of your home like you you found out super quick whether you were in a a dangerous floodplain or you found out super quick whether your house was weak or whether it was strong and we can go in and talk about what that means um, if you want to ask a couple more questions there but yeah so the long story short personal journey big realization that my home can dramatically affect and impact my health And that all of a sudden I understood mould is not just something annoying that we get that product from the commercial, bring in and spray and then off it goes and we're fine. It's a much bigger conversation and it's about building health, it's about humidity, it's about where we live, it's about orientation, all the things that you talk about, um, Amelia, uh, in terms of actually getting to the bottom of how we future-proof and, of course, work with the crisis that so many people are in right now our homes
0: yeah i think that's an amazing introduction to it and i know that you you know as i said you've got loads of resources on your website that i will definitely share in the resources for this podcast because you know you did just scratch the surface i remember when you shared you know you've you've moved through a lot of homes in the last 12 to 18 months Hmm. getting your environment right and finding a place where you can be healthy with your family and your son shares a similar susceptibility to mold that you do and I'll never forget you posting on social media the difference in his handwriting yeah. from being in a mold impacted home to being not in a mold impacted home only a matter of weeks later just how significant the turnaround was for him in terms of his handwriting being quite messy to them being something much clearer and I think that inflammatory response is something that um if you haven't if you haven't explored it uh personally for your own health and well-being can be a tricky one to initially navigate because you'll go to the you know a gp with a bunch of symptoms that aren't um, they might get diagnosed as something else, but they're just treating sort of the immediate problem and not the source. Mm. And so it did, you know, I watched how much it took you to really get to the bottom of what was going on for you. And it's why I'm I'm just uh, love so much. And I'm so grateful for the work that you've done to be able to share this information with others because I know how many people it's helping. So I'm just wondering, is there is there, a, you know, is one mold worse than another? Is there differences in what, you know, yeah, I mean, we, you know, when I was prepping for this interview, I said to you, you know, some people can say, oh, look, we use mold to make penicillin. Like surely some mold isn't bad. <laughs> and, you know, pick the mold out of that bit of bread that's in the last one in the loaf and stick it in the toaster and it'll be okay. You know, like I know that's how I grew up. My mum mom yeah. just pick the
1: mold the mold Scrape out of it, 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 it off the top yep. of the jam and keep going. <laughs> yeah. That's the French way as well. Absolutely.
0: So are there some that are worse than others or is it, you know, is it, is it a personal thing? Is there a way of assessing that for people? yeah look I think
1: something really important in the conversation is going to be super interesting to see where the research goes with this is we do not want to make fungi our full-blown foe like we've done with bacteria because now we see this unbelievable resistance to antibiotics we see it in agriculture uh because of course Monsanto's Roundup was initially, uh, glyphosate was patented as an antibiotic when it was originally brought out onto the market, and we see more and more requirement of these uh, uh, antibiotics to be used to have the same effect, we're going to see the same thing with antifungals. It's why I say please do not use antifungal paints uh, thinking that you're doing a great thing. You end up creating antifungal-resistant fungi that become even more toxic and release even more mycotoxins Uh, in the mold community. uh, We've really arrived at a place where we say remove, don't kill mold. Um, And I know we're going to talk about that when we talk about buildings, so I'll leave that there for now, but we've got to think about that for ourselves as well. I remember um, when I was at the height of my inflammation um, stage, really just needing to calm my body down, heal, detoxify. Uh, I was like, if I even saw a lemon with like, you know, how sometimes they go green on one side if they're down in the fruit bowl and sure everyone's been there, even just that would just send me into a tailspin. And so I have a theory that potentially that was actually a nervous system reaction because the sight of mold was such a traumatic experience to me once I'd made the physical connection for myself. So I'm very interested in in seeing where the research goes on how much the trauma impact of an initial event. So let's just say someone has just been through these floods, they've lost everything. There are thousands of people who have right now the trauma layers that are going to be built up through this experience can then inform the physical reactions we have to certain things. We know this. I mean, anyone who wants to explore this in more depth, please get out from your library or download uh, "When the Body Says No" by Gabriel uh, Gabor Mate. Uh, it's an absolutely incredible. Uh, Exploration into this topic. But so I was reacting to everything. And I don't, I genuinely don't know how much was actually trauma and how much was actually physical reaction. But I do know that one of my earliest memories of just how affected by mold I was was definitely physical, was just giving my nose into the bowl of sourdough culture prep and then getting the worst hay fever I'd had in my life. Wasn't really a hay fever person. For three days, which ended up in sinusitis, which ended up in conjunctivitis. And I know there'll be people listening who'll be like, oh my gosh, like I remember, you know, that sort of happening with me when I opened the jar of that jam and gave it a sniff, or the chicken stock that I left in the back of the fridge for too long, or whatever. So, um, look, I, I come from a French family on my mum's side. We eat Roquefort when we're coming down with something because it has penicillin in it. Roquefort is a blue cheese and it has penicillin in it. And that's what you eat when you think, oh, gosh, you know, I think, you know, my tonsils are flaring up or I've got some kind of infection. You just hook into the blue cheese. Um, And so it's actually a health benefit, uh, some mould. And so we really need to at first establish what, a healthy living environment is that allows us to live calm stress-free and not in a heightened response to the dangers around our homes to then I think develop a longer game um, healthy association to moulds because right now our buildings for the most part are in such a bad way either because they themselves are not healthy or because our modern air conditioning systems that we put in are spewing out unhealthy uh, mould spores and it's it's not mold that's bad. It's actually certain molds that give off certain mycotoxins. And these mycotoxins, depending on what they are, can actually react with the body in different ways. Some are carcinogenic, some neurotoxic, uh, ocrotoxin A, uh, aspergillus is another one that a lot of people know. And then there are many sub Um, subforms of aspergillus so there's some really fascinating research that mycologists are doing to help us define which ones are dangerous and which ones are good but um, we're very much in the infancy there so do I scrape off the top of a jam and keep going I don't because the way mold grows is in spirals generally and down through things I tend to actually um, mix that through with the worm bucket and and chuck it in the worm farm.
0: Gotcha. All Mm. right. And so I think that, and I think it's a really interesting conversation to think about, you know, your own personal assessment of this, your own personal experience, and then what you said about, you know, the antifungal, antibacterial, us not just going to town on Mm. completely creating, you know, hospital pristine environments that then don't give us any ability to actually uh, have a natural resistance to this long-term. So I think that's, it's really, yeah, it's a really um, interesting way to think about it. So I'm wondering with that then, Obviously, people who've been flood impacted, they'll know that, that mold's starting to grow in their home. And I mean, yeah, in the Northern Rivers, we've had uh, pretty much rain almost every day. I think there's only been a couple of days in the last three weeks since the <laughs> floods that it hasn't rained. So the chance to kind of dry at your home's been ridiculous. So, um, but uh, we're in a humid area anyway, where uh, mold is something that just grows on a regular basis in most times in the Northern Rivers. Mm. How do you, you know? what are the signs, what signs can you see in your home that you know, I, I mean, and you've become a ninja at, <laughs> <I> at, have, <laughs> in terms of looking through the rental properties that you have and finding mm. a place that was safe for you and your family. What, what are the telltale signs that mold has either is there or ha, it has been there in the past and could still be there, or is it going to be a problem uh, for mm. a homeowner?
1: Yeah. So telltale signs are things like bubbling paint, Staining in ceilings or around skirting boards, um, closer to the base of a room, wall. Um, Actual mould, let's not discount that. Uh, Wet, sense of like damp wetness, especially on either the interior of an exterior wall or the interior of a wall that has a bathroom or a kitchen with pipes on the other side. Um, And you can get uh, moisture meters that help you test these sorts of things. Um, What's really hard, I think, (laughs) over the amount of properties that I've seen, I will never touch a newly, freshly renovated, painted place ever again. Because we have such lax laws on um, property maintenance Uh, often we, and and because most people still have an understanding of mould as something annoying, so let's put something shiny and new over the top of it and just hide it away. Uh, Unfortunately, that for me is also. So something looks really great and it's just been redone, then that's actually an alarm bell for me as well, sadly, because, you know, it's a real trick with the mind there. But I've seen a girlfriend who just recently bought a five-bedroom Uh, Property. It was like literally going to be their forever home. They were so, so excited. The kind people before them that sold the house had done it up and painted it, but it was ridden with moisture problems and leaks. Um, But you just couldn't see any of them. All you could see was that gorgeous lighting, the stunning photography, and the feeling that everything was new. So, yes, bubbling paint, staining. Bubbling around the base of the outside of a building, or lots of cracks—stuff that kind of makes you think, "Oh, what's what's that about?" That looks like it's just not holding well. Um, that's all one thing, but so is cover-up. So you have to be mindful of that, and that's why I think having a moisture meter is such a great little tool. It is a couple of hundred bucks to get a good one from the hardware store, but um, they're fantastic. And then the last thing I'll say with signs is that your indoor air humidity is significantly higher than the the ambient humidity that your weather app tells you it is outside. So bringing a hygrometer, which great news there, it's about 20, 30 bucks from Bunnings. Don't even need to get a digital one, Uh, analog's fine. And you put it inside and you say, oh wow, it's raining and it's 90% humidity inside, but it's saying it's only 70% humidity outside. So that means your building is holding on to moisture and uh, you would be much better at teaching people all the reasons that that happens um, than me. Uh, But one of the really major things I see is when people discover they have big waterproofing issues where waterproofing wasn't done correctly, either on the laying of the slab or um, in bathrooms and kitchens. And then the other thing I see is with these um, aluminium steel-type windows Uh, just, you know, allowing such a huge transfer of moisture into the buildings. Like who hasn't woken up in some sort of place that they've lived over the years with condensation around a window? I know I have. Um, And the last thing I'm going to say is newer is definitely not by definition better. Um, If you're living somewhere and you're like, oh, but it's only two years old. We can't be having problems here unfortunately yes you can Um, and there's no better example than the place we chose to take stock for a year after we had stayed in it for a weekend week a couple of weeks as an airbnb between two nightmare places we are in a 1910 actually the first apartment building built in the suburb that we live in um, double brick building carpet, which I would usually never go for, Uh, dark, dark bedroom as well, like no natural sunlight in there. But I have never once and we've been through all the seasons now in this place, never once seen condensation on the windows. This building repels moisture like there's no tomorrow. And the reason is, is because when it rains, no water touches the exterior walls. Of the building it always gets a chance to dry out super fast once it is sunshiny because it never got so wet in the first place uh, so there's a lot of things to consider and it's an exciting time for a lot of people who get to rewrite their house's story after really tragic um, happenings it can be very stressful if obviously insurance isn't there and and obviously not exciting for everybody but if you do have the chance you can really now start to think well how do I build a healthy home and that's that's a really exciting project.
0: yeah and I think that that I mean we've spoken on the podcast and i'll I'll share more information obviously um, in the resources you know there are lots of things that building wise uh, you can be starting to examine in terms of the uh, your ability for your home to actually dry out after wet mm. weather events and those types of things the, the comment that you made about your external walls of the apartment building that you're in not getting wet is a really you know fantastic one because obviously as property was developed particularly through the 80s and 90s where it became about maximum internal square meterage uh, and we got rid of eaves and we pushed mm. everything to the external line because you know the maximum footprint was what was what was approved basically and it was more the footprint was measured to the outside of the eaves not to the outside face of the wall and it was more sellable inside the house than it was outside of the house so you know property developers like uh, henley homes and those kinds of things they brought over this rationale from the states where we just weren't building with eaves anymore and then that sort of started to become mainstream through our media through through the through the way that we built homes here so i think that it's that whole conversation about how does your home uh, keep water off it and then how does your home dry out because you know it doesn't have to be raining for you to be generating humidity internally you can have your shower going you can be cooking you know a person generates humidity in their indoor air environment on a regular basis so I think having that humidity reading is also a really great tip for people to actually just be monitoring that on a regular basis and seeing for themselves and this climatically I know you don't have to live in a humid area for this to be a problem you no, can have you this don't. happening in in dry areas as well so now in terms of okay so you've you've found it how do you and or it's starting to grow you know and you're in a, a you know you've been through these floods or you know that you have this problem in your home what are the ways that you actually can start getting rid of it uh, and dealing with it um, through, you know, it might just be through your clothing and soft furnishings, you know, you know, I know lots of people will see mold start to grow on their shoes and, you know, those kinds of things uh, versus, you know, right through to the walls of your home uh, and it might even, you might be seeing it sort of in uh, elements within your building as well. What what mold treatments or mold uh you know, mold removal processes. Do you recommend? Because I am seeing so, like, particularly where mm. I live, so much being advertised fogs, <laughs> spray yeah. products. You know, there's there's actual cleaning services that will come into your home and and promise to deal with the mold and you know turn around and be able to leave and leave you with a home that is safe to occupy. Like, what I know how much research you've done in this area. What do you suggest people need to do when it when it comes to actually getting rid of mold and cleaning mold in their homes? Mm.
1: So there's a couple of parts to this. Number one is you have to distinguish, do you have an indoor air excess humidity issue that's causing mould to grow or do you have water damage? Because those are things that we deal with completely differently. The way we deal with water damage, so flood, rain, excess damp, uh, burst pipe, et cetera, is you absolutely have to get to the root cause of why the water damage happened in the first place, fix that, and then remove the mold that it that it caused. So that can mean um, getting rid of the entire backing of under your sink and replacing the whole thing. That can mean If it was a roof leak and you didn't realise because you were away for a couple of weeks and then you got home and you saw that mould had started to grow, that whole drywall has to go. Uh, There's no amount of fogging that you can do that is going to fix that because you can't fog through a wall. You can't fog a pipe not burst, (laughs) you know. So you have to fix the damage uh unfortunately and I say unfortunately because of course that comes with a price tag um and so when we're dealing with water damage yeah you've got to deal with the leak and then you've got to deal with all the reasons that that might have happened so for some people they end up having to knock all the tiles out of a bathroom and get it properly waterproofed the second time now the good news is is if you've had that done in the last seven years in new south wales then you're not going to be liable for that because that's actually someone's bad workmanship Uh, it's got nothing to do with how you live in that home so i invite everybody to explore uh you know with someone like yourself who can help them navigate the complexity of those codes and how to uh, move forward uh, when it comes to that more extensive damage. But then the beautiful thing is about exos air humidity and people who now have started to notice, say second summer into a place, all their bags and shoes have mold on it, but they've never seen a leak. They don't tend to have condensation on their windows much. Uh, they've tested their indoor air humidity and, oh, it's about 10% more than in outside or it's just been high for a long time. So anything over 60% humidity for a prolonged period of time can allow for mold to grow. So if you live in a humid place, like think about it, you know, a few hundred years ago, we were far more nomadic. Or we were far more, um, our built environment was far more breezy. It was far less permanent um, and closed like our modern environments tend to want to hide us from everything that's happening, the elements. Old school is much more breezy and much less permanent, much more um, sustainable materials uh, that could literally just be returned to the earth and then you just build another shack. Um, So we're also dealing with the fact that it's kind of weird to have these structures that are built and, you know, built to protect us from the elements, not very well ventilated and having us living in these bubbles. It's one of the reasons why we end up with excess indoor air humidity because it just gets trapped. Um, And unless you've got the great fortune of being in a passive house with, uh, you know, your house has literally lungs to help usher clean air in and expel bad air and uh, reduce the humidity that way, then we're going to have to do it manually. And I want in the next year to stop having to teach people how to clean mould because everybody actually invested in some dehumidification in their homes. That's what I want because cleaning mould is expensive, we end up throwing things out and having to start from scratch, you know, soft furnishings that have foam inside them where mold could have grown right into it. Those things should ideally be replaced. I'll teach you how to clean some, some surfaces for sure, but none of it matters if it's just going to stay so humid inside Um, next time it rains and next time you go through a rainy season. Uh, And so anyone who has a, a, any kind of like if you live in a house and an apartment, anything, you have to have dehumidifiers if you live somewhere where it regularly goes over 60%. There's no way around it. You just have to do it. And some people, if you think about modern trends of huge wide open spaces of combined living, dining, um, kitchen, where you've got like massive square, you know, you can have up to like 100 square meters in that kind of a space. Um It's very hard to dehumidify that with a couple of 35 litre dehumidifiers. So then I teach people how to take all of their soft furnishings once a month, ideally once a week, but I can't see people moving couches once a week. That's kind of unrealistic. But at least you can do all your couch inserts and pillows and cushions um, and dining chairs. If you've got pillow material, dining chairs, chuck them all in a small bedroom in the house, Put the dehumidifier on there and then that's going to allow all that stuff to really get a good dry out um, and stop it from growing mould if you do it on a regular basis. That for me is a really good hack if you do have one of those big open spaces and it's just impossible to tame the humidity. And then just don't keep your shoes and, and bags in that space. Find a smaller Wardrobe kind of situation where all the family shoes and and bags can go so that that's much easier to to humidity control than a big wide open space. And then you'll find you just don't like mold just stops being an issue because it can't grow if it's less than 60% humidity um and is but that then- all you have to
0: do is you just have to get it below like if you are using yeah. those portable dehumidifiers yeah um and i know we've got one you know and it gets wheeled from space to space and just mm-hmm. put on and that kind of stuff so it just needs to get below 60 percent and and you keep keep it there and then you won't get the mold growth is that that's all yeah you're exactly going to for?
1: and if you've got um, concerns around power bills etc then Um, and you don't have solar, then just do it a couple of times a week, because it takes a little while for things to grow mold. But for example, we got stuck in a massive downpour yesterday, my son's backpack was absolutely soaked, as were our sports shoes. Um, And I just chucked all of that in the bathroom, we had our showers. uh, And then the dehumidifier worked its magic overnight, dried everything out, and uh, it's raining, so there's no chance that I could have put it out in the sun, it wouldn't have done a thing, it would have stayed wet. And those things could have then started to grow mold in a few days' time. But just putting it somewhere small where a dehumidifier can work its magic while you're fast asleep, uh, not lifting a finger, for me, is just one of the best things you can do. And we're the same. We've got two small units. One of ours is really tiny, compact one and lives in the laundry because our dryer is not a condenser dryer, so... It just um, dries our clothes and and stops anything from growing in the laundry. A lot of people talk about mould in the laundry. Um, It's usually because you don't have a condenser dryer or your laundry doesn't have a powerful enough flue to the outside. Um, And then you have the disaster of modern building codes in a few states in Australia where legally you haven't even had to make sure that things flew to the outside and so humid air is actually going into wall cavities if you're drying clothes which is a whole other disaster so that's one of the easiest things everybody can check Um, if you don't know how to check it yourself most handymen will be able to help them trace where things flew to and um they'll be able to tell you i should say handy person of course 2022 (laughs) and, uh, and yeah, so prevention is key. And then the other uh, unit that we have, we put in the living room while we're sleeping at night if it's raining. And then we oscillate it between the two bedrooms in the daytime while we're not in those spaces. Again, during summer and when it's raining. In the winter, it's very low humidity. We don't even need to worry about it in Sydney uh, unless there's a really rainy spell. So that's where we've arrived at our prevention plan. Uh, For the indoor air humidity. Now, again, if it's beyond that, if you see mold coming through walls, it has a different look, just doesn't look like something you could wipe away. It looks like something that's stained through a wall. Um, That is when you need to investigate and see where that's coming from and why.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you can, um, I mean, uh, you know, we're talking obviously about portable dehumidification units. You can specify now if you're installing air conditioning units and those kinds of things, you can get air conditioning units that have dehumidification built into them. Um, Obviously, there's mechanical uh, and heat recovery ventilation systems as well that you can be doing as your your ventilation system, your mechanical ventilation system in your home. So I think understanding that that dehumidification needs to be part of the thought process of managing and maintaining your indoor air quality uh is a really good one so all right so if you if you are cleaning it you know obviously there's i've seen all sorts of recommendations there are those those fogs there's uh people just say just put bleach on it or uh i can't remember it was mold rid or something that spray in bottle same thing I saw, yeah i saw somebody mm. sharing that they bought bucket loads of that recently in sydney mm. um, and then there's right through to the other end of vinegar clove thieves uh, you know those uh, bicarb i've also seen what if you've got surface mold somewhere um that you want to clean off mm-hmm. what do you recommend as a, a cleaning product that uh is the best to use to actually deal with it cool so i just want to speak very quickly to the air conditioning
1: situation yes because a lot of people don't realize that you should be getting a full service on any split systems or ducting every single year, deep clean. Uh, Otherwise mold can grow in those places as well. And then you end up with a air problem. Um, And, uh, and I just think that's important because so many people I speak to, I give talks. They're like every year I'm like, yeah. And if you live somewhere really humid, I'd go every six months. And people are shocked, like, you know, building owners who rent out apartments aren't held to account to do that annually. No one's holding anyone to account. So it actually comes down to grassroots education. And that's why I thought I'm going to take this opportunity and help anyone out there who's listening on that front. Now, now let's.
0: Yeah, no, no. And before you go on, that's actually, I mean, that stems to. It will be somewhere in the warranty conditions that you're supposed, to ins- mm. to, you're supposed to maintain every 12 months and do that type of clean. In hospitality and commercial properties, they do. They, have to, they know that it's part of their servicing agreement that they have to clean those air conditioning units on a regular basis. A lot of new builders will hand over an owner's manual at completion with all of the manuals and things like that to the homeowner and say, okay, this is now your your thing this is what you need to know about all the things that we've installed into your home uh but they don't necessarily educate a homeowner that in order if anything goes wrong with that air conditioning unit and the uh they won't have their warranties honored unless they've performed to what the warranty requires which is the annual clean and I know you've got a protocol when you go and stay somewhere because this is something that you're super sensitive to where you will you know that your team check with the hotel whether they're doing a cleaning regime (laughs) that so that you don't end up in a hotel room with a with an air conditioning unit that hasn't been properly maintained so I think that um that yeah I really appreciate you pointing that out because we forget we build Mm. and renovate these new homes and then forget that we actually have to maintain them this is not the end of us doing things with them yeah and uh and yeah that it's it's all these new things that we put into them they're not just something that we can then set and forget we actually need to continue maintaining them uh, Absolutely. in order for them to perform and then order to, to us to have any any claim on warranty issues that we might need. so
1: yeah. yeah. And think about modern life, Amelia. Like we are geared to spend every waking moment at work, with our families, with a few friends, on holidays. Where is the taking out of things seasonally and dusting them off and getting the sunshine to give them a good dry? Like there's not, we don't do any of that stuff anymore. There's no housekeeper. There's no, (laughs) there's no maid. There's no one to help us with home maintenance. It's just us. And so we've kind of geared our lives to literally have nothing left over for home maintenance. And then, of course, building codes and uh, maintenance codes like, I was thinking about this the other day when we got our fire inspection guy come in and replace the extinguisher, the extinguisher, and check the fire alarms, and then go. And I thought, where is that for air conditioning systems? There's no air conditioning requirement where they. No one's really holding anyone to account. There's a suggestion, but there isn't really a policing of it. So. More people that know about air conditioning maintenance, the better, I reckon. I always write to a restaurant if I've noticed a moldy aircon, something really old. You know, they're a small business. They, they've got a million things to think about. And I've been in hospitality. You are busy all the time. So I just pop them a note and I just say, look, I noticed, you know, you had a really dirty air conditioning that might be impacting your staff, creating allergies, a bit of brain fog that might in turn actually create a worse guest experience. It's just 200 300 bucks to get someone in to come in and fix a split system and um, and give it a good clean. It's worth it for everybody. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Now, let's start talking about cleaning stuff. So let's just say you've noticed that your closet smelling a bit musty. You know, closets tend to be closed. They tend to therefore trap humidity when it's been hot or rainy and um, really, really common for those areas to get moldy if you don't have dehumidifiers. So what can we do? Do we have to throw everything away? Luckily, no, we do not. Um, Unless it's a super quilty padded jacket that has a lot of filling, like I've found those items can be really, really hard to fully, fully clean, but the average piece of clothing can absolutely be cleaned. And... As someone who has been in water-damaged places and moved on, I can tell you now I've been able to rescue my clothes. So that's a good piece of news. Um, do you have to clean them with
0: anything special?
1: Yes. So my protocol is one I picked up from someone in America who's a great educator on mould, and it does actually involve, I know my business is called Low Life, but it's low, not no, and sometimes we actually do need to bring in some big guns. And it involves a triple wash. So all of these washes are done on a hot cycle. Yes, it's going to cost money. Um, hopefully we're with uh, someone who uh, provides carbon, uh, carbon neutral energy and so therefore um, we're not damaging the environment as well. But it is costly to do hot washes. I get that. But it's more costly to have to buy a whole new wardrobe. So think about it that way. First wash, 60 degrees Celsius or more, you want to do with half a cup of ammonia. Very, very important here is to wear appropriate face mask and gloves, and uh, I always say whenever you've been cleaning anything with mould or dealing with any toxic chemicals, wash everything that you've worn while you were doing that as well afterwards. Um, So first wash, half a cup of ammonia, in it goes, hot cycle. Don't take it out of the machine. You don't need to dry it and then put it back in. Next wash, hot wash again you do with a big cup of borax. Borax you can buy from your supermarket, but you can also get it in bulk online. I'm a big fan, if you're here in Australia, of Blants over in Western Australia, dot au. Uh, they sell big 10-kilo 10, 10 tubs and we've got one in the laundry and we just whip it out um, every time our clothes have been a bit damp or sun's been camping and you know that that's all been sitting in the pack for a few days that's when we whip out the borax. So that's your second wash, cup of borax. Third wash, I do love the Young Living Thieves. I think it's a fantastic product. It has a great blend of essential oils in there. help give things a really good deep clean. And I tend to then just do a couple of tablespoons of like, we use EcoStore as our run-of-the-mill washing powder. Koala Eco is another really great brand. Yuka is another great brand. Um, And if you're in the States or Canada, BioClean is an excellent brand. Um, E-cover for the people in the UK and Europe. So there we go. We've covered everybody. (laughs) Um, And so for that third wash, you just use whatever you're using. And if you do have a good um, essential oil blend, like um, the Thieves Household Cleaner, then chuck a couple of caps full of that in as well. Not essential. But I'm a big fan of, like, final stamps of, like, let's just get this stuff out of there. It gives a beautiful fragrance as well. We don't want to use the fake smelly stuff um, that's full of toxic chemicals. Uh, And that, sun drying ideally, the last load, or if you have to put it in the dryer, that's fine, you know, if it's still raining, you will be able to rescue your clothes. Um, if there are more uh, like fragile clothes that you've got in the mix there or you don't normally do a hot wash, uh, wool, you can soak like basically melt your borax in a big tub in really, really hot water because it'll need the hot water to melt. And then put once it's warm to cool your woolen items in there and give them a really good soak for a day or two and then sun dry them both in turned inside out and right side up, because it's obviously a thicker kind of fabric, you've got knit there, um, then you should be able to save most of your woolens as well. We've even be, been able to save most of my son's soft toys by just doing that triple wash and then the good sun dry at the end. And then the, the woolen knit ones, we did the borax bath and then a good sun dry at the end. And um, and that's tended to be fine. So that's how you fix your, your cushion covers, your linens, your... Um, pillow slips, all of your clothes in your wardrobe, um, you'll be able to save most things doing it that way. And then with things like um, uh, actual furniture, it's harder to to recover softwood furnishings that haven't been lacquered because they've got very little protection, they're quite porous and and mould can actually get into the grain. But if it's been lacquered, it tends to just be able to stay and sit on the surface. One of my favourite cleaning products is something called Concrobium. It's an encapsulator. It sort of forms a membrane around the mould spores. um, And you just spray it on. You leave it for 20 minutes, spray again, wipe it away. Now, I'm not a fan of using um, uh, material cloths or um, tea towels or microfiber cloths for this, for the simple fact that you're going to want to throw away anything that you've cleaned mould up with. And so I just use kitchen paper towel for these sorts of cleaning jobs. Um, We've been able to rescue a a varnished bed that way. Um, But just be mindful that sometimes the base, the foot of furniture isn't varnished. Um, And so if that's been sitting in mouldy carpet, you might actually want to take a centimetre off the bottom. Um, if you've got a handy person in the house who's comfortable with a a saw, um, then uh, that can be a really good way to rescue some furniture, to take a good centimetre off the bottom, then seal it with some kind of varnish so that nothing more is going to get in there. And then you tend to be able to save those sorts of furniture products as well. It's quite easy to clean walls with Concrobium too. Uh, Windows, it's a great um, help. And um, I'm just trying to think of other types of, surfaces that might grow it. Yeah, any kind of cupboard, um, but varnished surfaces you'll have more luck actually just removing it clean. From walls, um, sometimes especially if it's a dry wall, it tends to um, be a little bit harder to get out. You might end up with some staining. But trust me when I say the research is very clear on this now, your exit mold type products unfortunately act as a food source for mold and because of their antifungal nature can then in turn have mold grow back with slightly more angry mycotoxins um, being released from the spores so it's just not a great idea much better off with something like concrobium much better off with baking soda much better off with white vinegar and really trying to remove it rather than kill like you just want to make sure we're using the right words because um killing usually doesn't fully kill and then comes back stronger just like antibiotics with that don't quite get rid of an infection and the infection comes back stronger
0: so it sounds like you're essentially trying to either wipe it off cut it out or soak it out you know soak it and wash it away in terms Mm. of those kinds of products so why do the fogs not work what's the deal with the fogs well the foggy look
1: They're looking at hydrogen peroxide fogging as a really good way to um, eliminate mould and eliminate mould spores. That seems to be more beneficial than the older forms of fogging or the more common forms that are done still. Um, But genuinely, like if that's gotten into the carpets, if it's in your soft furnishings, if it's gotten into foams, Or as we come right back to the first part, which is if there is more deep-seated damage in the first place, it's all just going to come back and then some, unfortunately. Gotcha.
0: Okay. And in terms of, you know, have you seen with the people that you've worked with and those kinds of things, There's a timeline in terms of trying to have some ability to, like I know, I remember speaking to um, David Keene who has the business of my claim they assist people when they're having troubles with their insurance companies, and they he told me about a a house where um, there was some initial storm damage uh, that created some problems and because the insurance agency took so long it went from being a sort of I think it was something like a 60 or 70 thousand dollar problem to solve to then being over 500 thousand dollars because the house mold had taken hold in the house by that point I'm thinking of all these people who are obviously take you know trying to get back into their homes Uh, and I know that a lot of the older style homes the hardwoods and those kinds of things if they're able to dry out they can actually dry out and be okay. It is the softwoods, as you said, that where the mould can impregnate and it just, it it can't um, it can't seem to repair itself in the same way. Mm. Do you do you you know? if people have been sort of ignoring this mold problem on their walls or something like that for a while and all of a sudden think they've created a full-blown problem for themselves in terms of having to remove it, is there is there something around the urgency of it? Is there, you know, do you see issues with timelines and those kinds of things? We've had so many, I mean, had so many local people saying the insurance assessor told me that I just had to wait until somebody could come and inspect this. Devastating. And, you know, and yeah. meanwhile, you know, things are just getting worse for them. So how, how you know, what what's your experience with that?
1: Well, remembering when we were talking about humidity and if things stay more than 60% humid, wet, uh, mold will grow. So it's incredibly urgent. Yeah. And the number one thing you need to do when you get a leak, and of course, there's going to be a problem with supply here, Mm -hmm. is hire a commercial grade dehumidifier to just keep things as dry as possible. It's going to be the best way you can at least save most of your possessions from starting to become wet inside. Um, I, I can't speak with expertise on floods because um, that's not really um, an area that I've gone in. And I, I'm also reticent that people are going to be listening right now who are going to be really interested because they've just been through the floods. Um, and I think we have to be super sensitive to the fact that a lot of people have lost everything and this information is probably just going to make people angry because they don't feel helped, they don't feel seen, and they don't feel like their concerns are being taken to the degree of concern that they should be, um, and that's awful. So there's a lot of systems change that's required here for a long game of um, a healthier outcome, but ideally we're talking 48 to 72 hours um like who (laughs) who is you know like save the like 50 people that will be able to get a um, commercial dehumidifier because that that's how many are in stock what about the thousands yes in the the flash floods in sydney for that day that was crazy Um, what about the thousands who literally went underwater up near you Um, that that's not going to help them and now they're being told to wait for for months. So I can tell you the ideal is 48 hours and just drying everything out as much as you possibly can. Um, But I also recognize that the system is so broken and that knowledge then just makes people feel helpless because we've got buckleys of actually responding. So the people who do have a chance of responding, the people who own their own home, who aren't on a floodplain, so water didn't rise up through the house and start to damage things that way, but who maybe had storm damage, water coming through a roof. You know, this happened to a dear friend of mine. She was sending me pictures. She's like, what do we do? I'm like, well, my husband's in the SES. So he said the first thing you've got to do is poke a screwdriver in with a bucket under and see if there's actually um, built-up water that's pulled there that needs to be let out because that'll be the first step in... Preventing too much water, uh, she did that. Luckily, there was no pulled water, so it was just some puddling and leaking in the roof. Um, next thing, she's like, "Okay, so this is what happened overnight." And actually, the ceiling had become so wet in this patch that it just fully broke away from that little screwdriver point, and now she had a hole about half a meter in her ceiling in the living room. So I said, "The first thing you've got to do is." Um, you've got to somehow get on top of the roof, either put a tarp on or silicone the tiles that have um, been cracked and uh, bringing the water in because that will mean you're then safe to patch this hole with a garbage bag um, until someone can come and see it without more water pooling and, you know, because we didn't know when the rains were going to stop. So she did that and um, luckily it was a really isolated spot Uh, A a local handy person came, was able to show exactly where the mould stopped in the batting that was inside the roof. So they just cut literally a huge circle out around it, kind of like, you know, a surgeon deals with melanoma and you get a bit more um, so that you know that you've got everything and then put new insulation in that spot, put new drywall where it was wet um, and they didn't get to the point where they needed to do more. So it was a couple of um, thousand dollars instead of, um, you know, being a potentially much larger job if they'd left it a month or two. So there are, I think we have to remember there are things we can do. Send someone into the roof who's confident in your house if they're a handy person and see if you can see daylight poking through a tile, get the silicone gun out and try and patch it up, try and stop that water coming in. I think we often think, we're just a complete victim and this is horrible and it sucks. And, yeah, it does. Um, But with these more minor situations, there's actually a lot of stuff we can do to to stop it from getting worse, crank the dehumidifiers, and then that buys us a bit of time to dig around at the the bigger problem that we might need to fix. Does that help?
0: Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, I think too of the people that, uh, I mean, uh, for example, my kid's school obviously went under in Lisbon, Mm. And the, the, um, school owner said that when he spoke to the insurance company, they said, you'll need to wait for an assessor to come. And he said, well, you've never been through a flood then. And, uh, he just made sure everything was photographed and documented. And we, and we started, we pulled out thousands of square meters of carpet because if we'd left it, it would have been Hmm. horrific, you know, even, even within, we were there, um, two days after the the floodwaters uh, started subsiding enough for us to be able to get in. And within 24 hours, we had health inspectors saying we weren't allowed to be inside the building because the air was so toxic. So, you know, we were very fortunate that we were able to do what we did within that first 24 hours of having access. So I think that um, I think those points that you raised about what can you do to, Uh, mitigate it getting worse Mm. uh, and and be able to contain it are very important and then I think sometimes uh, being able to get some advice uh, about whether you need to just proceed with uh, documenting it and protecting your own health and and well-being in the process um, is important and I think too it's It's, you know, understanding that it is something that needs to happen quickly. There'll be lots of people who may be insured or the insurance company is saying, no, we're not going to cover that because that can dry out and you'll be fine,
1: Mm. knowing
0: that they may have scope to push back on that is important. So, in yeah. with that information, that um, it's not something that will just. It could be something that could dry out, or it could be something that will be continue to be problematic for you. Uh, and now is the time to, you know, be able to deal with that and uh, to get access to the help and information that you need to be able to to uh, push off back on the process. If somebody's saying no, that's not. It's not something to worry about. So, mm. I think all of that's amazing, and I think um, understanding just that. Uh, wiping it down with exit mold is not going to solve the problem nope. is um, is very valuable information as well. So um, Alex, I can't thank you enough for all that you've shared in this conversation. Uh, and as I said, I'll put loads of resources. Alex has actually got uh, she's got conversations with specialists on this. Uh, if you are somebody who um, these symptoms are starting to trigger for you thoughts on, oh, actually, this is something I'm experiencing. And I just put it down to being tired, being busy, being stressed. Mm. Um, but it actually could be a signal of something more. I remember you actually you said to me, uh, and I don't know if the stat still stands, but you said to me ages ago, that there was a certain number of people that were impacted by the genetic predisposition mm. for this, and then, a num- and then a certain number of buildings that were impacted by mold and dampness issues. So the stats just were stacked against what were those stats again i remember you yeah so
1: it's 25 24 technically percent of people um and you can actually test this by doing the celiac blood test hla dr and dq gene groups um and uh there'll be certain uh snips we call them so little genetic um uh little sub parts of the gene uh, that uh, make you more susceptible to a whole variety of environmental toxins. And there are a couple that are actually specific to mold in terms of doctors who've been treating people by the thousands who have actually decided to say, yes, I see your concern is mold and I want to help you because it's still not recognized as an illness in um, uh, medical associations around the world, unfortunately. Um, And so, yeah, about 24%. And then if you look at water damage in buildings being around the 40 to 50% mark, depending on the country, climate um, and rainfall, uh, you do the maths on how many people are running around out there feeling less than their best selves who have never realised why that might be. And that devastates me. Uh, And I think through education, we're going to be able to help more and more people. So if you're 30 and you've got arthritis, uh, that's not normal. Um, And, you know, if you then have 30 arthritis, really moldy building, uh, then we can start to actually um, put the health building blocks back in place and get people feeling great. Uh, But as I said, I'm passionate about homeowners and home investors realizing how big a problem this can be for them. Mold is only going to grow as an issue of awareness when it comes to medical um, literature and support. And so think about the kinds of court cases that will be able to be mounted against property owners and builders, for that matter, um, once that happens. And we all have to actually care about this because whether it's your financial stake in it or your health stake, uh, both of those are pretty important to the overall quality of life.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's fantastic. And I think that, you know, knowing that you're getting what you're paying for when you build Mm. or renovate a home and then knowing that um, what the pathway is through to repair it um, should, should it be damaged through water damage, flood, uh, storm damage or just general issues and then that humidity conversation um, that's all been incredibly valuable information so thank you so much for everything that you've shared Alex I am super grateful for your time and for your generosity and the information that you've been able to give the audience oh you're so
1: welcome Amelia as you've said a couple of times and I'm sure you put it in the show notes there are some aggregated here's everything I've done on mold things on my website but I just want to give a shout out to toxicmold.org Um, who are an incredible not-for-profit here in Australia who help people wade through this minefield, different certifications for people who say that they can remediate mould and help people. Um, That for me is one of the best resources as well to um, just make sure that when you are doing this substantial financial work that you're actually working with people who can be trusted as well. So thank you so much for the opportunity to chat about this more.
0: Well, that's a lot, isn't it? But I I do hope that you found it helpful. You know, Alex has such a, she's got such a huge level of personal experience and professional knowledge and research on this topic, which we really only scratched the surface of. And I know we went off on a few tangents and things like that. But I do hope that it's given you some insight into how to view view mold in your home, and what to do next if you're dealing with it. Now, if this is your first time learning about chronic inflammatory response syndrome or mold illness it can be really challenging and tricky to understand and it can also feel overwhelming at first but please head to the resources for this episode because you'll be able to access lots of extra help and information to support further research and to really get the help that you need and and be able to shortcut so much as a result. You can find resources um, that we've mentioned. There's also a free downloadable PDF transcript of this episode. Uh, You can get all of that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 231. That's the numbers 231. You'll also find links there to learn more about Alex Stewart uh, and Lotox Life, to learn more about her books, to be able to access her website and her incredible resources at lotoxlife.com. And Alex actually spells her first name with two X's. So it's Alex Stewart, A-L-E-X-S-T-U-A-R-T. Now I'm going to be back next time with a new episode all about the things that I would ban in home design if I was given the choice. So I think this is going to give you some really great intel on what to avoid when designing your new home or renovation. Uh, We're going to have a bit of fun with it so uh, make sure you tune in for that. As always thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.